Welcome to the B&A podcast. Um, my name's Wayne and we are working our way through Mark's Gospel and we have reached chapter 5. We have reached chapter 5. So just as we get it, digging into chapter 5, hopefully you've got it open in front of you and when I read you'll read it along with me. Um, if you're driving, don't have it open in front of you or if you're doing something like that, don't have it open in front of you. But if you can, do. Anyway, chapters 1, 2, 3 and 4, lots and lots of short stories, short encounters, short teaching points. There's a, there's a lot of pace to chapters 1 to 4 in Mark's Gospel. And then there's a shift in chapter 5. And it's always, whenever you're reading any form of literature, it's always worth asking the question, why has the author changed pace? What are they doing when they do this? And suddenly in chapter 5, Mark is going to tell us um, two stories that are going to take 43 verses. And if I look back, for example, in chapter 4, it was 41 verses with 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 different encounters. Uh, and then, so it's a kind of, the, the, the chapter's got a little longer and it's got um, not less in it, but, but only two encounters. So what's Mark up to? We're going to get into it in a moment, but, but just to tee us up, um, themes that emerge are the authority that Jesus has and what he has authority over, and then also who Jesus is for and who needs Jesus. So the authority Jesus has and what he has authority over, and who Jesus is for and who needs Jesus. So um, I'm going to read um, the first, I'm going to read chapter five. Um, the first story goes for, is for 20 verses, but I think I will break it down into smaller sections as we go. So chapter five, reading from verse one. They went across the lake to the region of the Gennesarets. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. So Jesus crossed over the lake. He's crossed over to a Gentile region. So a good reminder, Jesus, you know, we said, who's Jesus for? Well, he's not just for the Jews and he's for everyone. So he's crossed over into a Gentile region. There's some debate as to exactly where he is, but but he is in um, a Gentile region. Region, So he could be maybe as far away as 37 miles from the Sea of Galilee at this point, sort of, um, so he's gone inland a bit um, from the sea, or he could be a little bit close to the seashore. But as I said, it's a Gentile region. So we've got a man with impure spirits. And so these are destructive beings. Um, Jesus encounters them often in all the Gospels. Uh, and it's just a reminder of the cosmic aspect of Jesus' ministry, that actually um, we are caught up in a world that is physical and spiritual and has a cosmic um, aspect to it. The, the author and um, historian Tom Holland talks about how the thing that we as Christians have, the church has, is, is this belief that the whole of the, whole of the cosmic order um, is reorientated around um, this one person, Jesus, and, and this one major event, the cross and the resurrection, um, in Jesus' life, and that the whole of the cosmic order spins around this, uh, and it's, 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 it's quite massive. So here's a reminder from the Gospel that actually, in pure spirits, there's a cosmic aspect to Jesus' ministry. Um, if we were to flick back to chapter 1, we'll see that these demons, and again it's the same, we're going to come on to this in a moment, they know who he is, they know who he is. Um, it's quite important. He's he's in among tombs. Uh, he's living in the tombs. So he's basically cut off from everybody else. But he's also in a place that would have been unclean, uh, and in a, is in a place of death. Um, 
chains uh, and the fact that he can break the chains it like basically the, it shows the strength of this demon possession and that actually it's quite dangerous and that people have tried to control him <clears throat> but haven't been able to um, and what it is to, to to be under the demonic is of course it's to be isolated uh, and to be destructive even to the point of self-destruction this yes is in a very is an extreme case but actually this is the nature of what sin does to us all um, one of the prayers that we would pray in the liturgy, if, um, if you pray liturgy in the morning, is, is without your grace there is no health within us. Without your grace there is no health within us. Um, so, Jesus has encountered, he's crossed over and encountered this uh, man who is possessed by demons to the point of self-destruction, who's living amongst the tombs, reading from verse 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. So it's kind of like the language of worship, falling on his knees. Um, Except the term that Mark uses there, the fall on his knees term, in Greek he's going to use it one other place, and it's going to be in chapter um, towards the end in chapter 15 it's going to be in relation to mocking Jesus at the cross so actually there's a there's a it, it's not a it's not a, an act of worship and reverence it's, it's an act of mocking and an act of uh, rebellion on the part of the demons most high God what do you want from me most high God is it's a gentile term for God but is a reminder of where God is most high God who resides in heaven um, and also is um, also a reminder of the sovereignty of God most high so it's so a God who resides in heaven and is sovereign. Um, don't torture me. It's quite ironic, interestingly enough, because actually this man is being tortured. So the demons don't want to be tortured, or what they think torture would be from Jesus. Um, but, they, but they are torturing this man. Come out of, for Jesus had said, come out of this man, you impure spirit. So Jesus has already called this demon out, wanting to bring freedom to the man. Verse 9, Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. So a legion is a Roman army. It could have had three to 6,000 soldiers. So this man is a victim of multiple um, possessions. Um, and, and, and he's begging him. He said he begged Jesus again and again. So in the Greek, it's, in, it's imperfect. So this is ongoing. So this guy is pleading, do not. He recognizes Jesus' authority. And he recognises what Jesus can do. And the demons are pleading not to be sent out of him. A very large herd of pigs was feeding, this is verse 11, a very large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them position, I'm sorry, he gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. So remember, we're in a Gentile region, so... Jews wouldn't have farmed pigs. Uh, interesting enough, 2,000 pigs is a shed load of pigs, <laughs> quite literally if you're thinking about farming. Um, the average you know, herd would have been about 150. Um, so there's this high cost actually to the destruction of um, these 2,000 pigs. Um, but, it says, but, but actually in terms of the cosmic battle and freeing this man from the demonic, um, what's interesting is that the demons would rather go into pigs, go into animals than have to face, they need a host, but also face the consequence of um of facing jesus they would rather have like you know basically oh we don't want to deal with you jesus please send us into the pigs and then they they and the pigs go to their destruction 
So from verse 14, those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. So you must remember this guy is probably very well known. He's been chained up, he's been breaking his chains and here's Jesus getting out of a boat and has freed him with a word. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind and they were afraid. This is a massive change um, he, in, his, in, how, in how he's acting in how he looks, and also in what's going on in his mind. And this is what Jesus does, whether you're demon-possessed or, or whether you're just under the curse of sin, is that when you give your life to Jesus, uh, he changes you. He changes you. Uh, a new heart, we, must be, we are born again, um, and people see it. Uh, they were afraid. This is not the fear that leads to respect for God and an embrace of the kingdom, but it is rather the fear of a dread of facing what this might mean. And this is one of the things about Jesus, is that when we come face to face with his truth and with his power, uh, there is the fear that leads to respect and to a kingdom embrace. But there is also the fear to have it that is caused by the dread of what would it mean if this Jesus is who he says he is. Um, and as so many writers from C.S. Lewis to Tim Keller to Bono of you two have said, Jesus doesn't give you the option just to leave him in the middle as a nice guy and as a teacher and a historical figure. He is either the son of God uh, or he is something else uh, evil completely because of who he claimed to be. Um, and Lewis and Keller and Bono say he must be God. But when you're faced with that, what do you do? And these people are full of fear. Those who, um, verse 16, those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man, told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their re- um, the region. They would rather Jesus leave. They would rather Jesus leave than embrace who he is. I wonder how strong that is in our culture or in the world around us. People would rather not have to face up to um, encountering Jesus and his church because of what it might mean. And they would rather we, we kept away, uh, we kept our heads down because of the loving challenge that we bring. Verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were remade, were remade. So contrasting, so the guy who has been healed, who's been released from the demonic oppression, he is contrasted to all the people around him and he wants to follow Jesus. It's not clear from the text why Jesus refused him, but, but actually one idea is to send him back to the relationships that have been broken where there would be restoration and where there would healing, and also to send him to people where his transformed life would reveal something of, you know, who Jesus is. Tell of how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Remember we talked um, last week about the mark and secret. There's no secret here. Go and tell. Go and tell. And he tells about how much Jesus had done. Remember, the gospel is the gospel of Jesus. There is no other name under which we are saved. And so the good news that we share is the good news of Jesus, and it's the good news of the cross and the resurrection. And there's a specific aspect to how God has chosen to operate in the world to save us. And actually, if we, ever, if we fail to point to Jesus, to tell of Jesus and to tell of his works, we are failing to declare the truth of how God is at work in the world rescuing, and failing to declare the need that we all have to come to Jesus. So remember, the good news is the good news of Jesus. So that's the first story, this demonic. Um, 
as I said, um, authority. Jesus is in the cosmic battle has authority over demons, not just one, but a legion of demons. And they recognize and they're afraid because they see who he is, the son, you know, the, the most high God, son of the most high God. And we're in a Gentile region, remembering that Jesus is for everyone and everyone needs Jesus. And, and then there is that challenge about what do you do when you hear the truth and you see the kingdom at work? Do you embrace um, or do you, are you filled with a fear and a dread that means you push it away? Let's push on to verse, from verse 21 and the, a change of scene and a change of story. When Jesus had again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, so back to the Jewish side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named, named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And live. So Jesus went with her. So Jairus would have been a really key figure. He would have been um, a lay leader in the synagogue. So uh, if you think about like our church structure, he'd have been like Denise and Jeremy, who are our church wardens. And uh, so he would have had a role in directing services and in the care of the synagogue. He is a rare example of a Jewish leader in the Gospels who is open to Jesus. Um, but he's desperate. His little daughter is dying. And so he falls at his feet like um, the demoniac had, but this time in respect. He falls at his feet. And he pleads, um, he says, uh, place your hands on her. Now that isn't actually um, quite common in the Jewish way of healing. Um, some One commentator referred to 2 Kings chapter 5 and when Naaman goes to Elisha for healing and gets really cross that Elisha didn't lay hands on and didn't even see him. Um, but in here, we've said, if you put your hands on her, she will be healed and lived. And then it says, 20, verse 24, so Jesus went with him. Lovely. Jesus went with them. So Jairus's plead and Jesus's yes. So Jesus went with them. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. So he's, remember, he's a really popular guy. Let's, what's he up to now? And a woman who was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt it in her body that she was freed from her suffering. So we go from Jairus to the complete opposite. This lady um, the, would have been um, unclean. She would have been a, an outcast. Um, the, the, the reference to bleeding is a reference to a vaginal bleeding. So that would have, there would have been an uncleanliness. Um, as a result, she would have been unable to marry. So, so she is, if we've had a lay leader, a really important person in society come and fall at Jesus' feet, we've now had this person who's right the opposite end of the scale reach out towards him. She was so desperate that she'd been to see doctors. Um, in the Jewish culture of the day, they didn't really like doctors. In fact, they thought they were a bit of a nuisance. So the fact that she's gone to doctors shows how desperate she was. But of course, the doctors hadn't worked. She reaches out and she touches his robe. So there was an ancient uh, belief that power could be transmitted through clothes. It always uh, reminds me of um, Malachi 4 verse 2. It's um, um, as the Old Testament closes, a messianic prophecy, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And, and yes, it's about um, the sun, so the term there that is canapa, so the sun's rays. But also healing in its wings can mean the edges and the borders. And, there was, um, and so there's an image there of the, the, the priest of a priestly clothes. And Jesus, of course, is our great high priest. So, so he's right, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. So she reaches out um, and touch. And then the language that is used is, is similar language that would have been used um, uh, in Leviticus. 
when they talked about being healing and being made clean. And she experiences, just reaching out and touching Jesus, she experiences immediately her bleeding stops. And she feels it in her body that she is free. That is amazing. Verse 30, at once Jesus really realised that power had gone from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? So Jesus realises what's happened and, he, and he's going to make public what had up until that moment been private. Verse 31, you see the people crowding against you, disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me. Of course somebody touched you, but Jesus knows that someone has touched him with a specific purpose, for a specific goal, and in faith. So that's why he says, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. So she's also falling at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. It's amazing that he calls her daughter. Um, This is not about exposing her in front of everybody else, but this is about making public what had been private so that she and everybody else knows that God has acted. It's really important. Just so God, he doesn't hide what he does. Um, So by making this public, she is being restored into relationship with everybody else, being moved from uncleanliness to cleanliness publicly. And also she is having confirmation that actually her faith and in reaching out and touching Jesus, yes, it has worked. This has been an act of God. And so, so this is, one part might be for the crowd, but it's definitely for her. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some of the people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? So the delay, possibly, possibly, in dealing with this woman means that Jairus' daughter has died. Overhearing verse 36, what they said, Jesus said to him, don't be afraid, just believe. Jesus is going to push on. Death is not going to stop him. It's a call to Jairus, trust and believe. You've fallen at my feet. You've said, if only, will you trust and will you believe? From verse 37, he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. So those are the guys you think about the transfiguration. They're the garden, they're the inner circle. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. So um, mourning, big thing in the Jewish culture. They might have been just people who were sad and family members. Or they also had um, professional mourners. So they might have already been been um, brought round, rallied round the professional mourners. Verse 39, he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? This child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. So Jesus being ridiculed for, because um, they know she's dead. After he put them out, he took the child's mother and father and the disciples who were with him. So he's taken his inner circle and the mother and the father and went into where the girl was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. So um, immediately the girl stood up, past tense, began to walk around, imperfect, so therefore ongoing. So she gets up, this has happened, completed, she has been um, brought back from death. Um, She's walking around, her life is carrying on. The people, of course, are totally amazed. But then back, here's his contrast. We talked about why Jesus at sometimes might not say to people, 
go and talk about this. So he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. So we're back in the Jewish world here and the fullness of why Jesus has come and the cross and the resurrection has not yet been revealed. So to the Jews, the nature of who the Messiah is and what Messiah must come to do has not yet been revealed. And so see Jesus is saying, don't tell anybody because they're going to get wrong my power over death because actually the power that Jesus is going to have over death is going to be as a result of his death and his resurrection. So he's reached out into death and he's brought this girl back up. But that is a picture of what is going to be possible for every single one of us as a result of his death and his resurrection. So that was Mark chapter 5. Jesus has authority in the cosmic sphere over the demonic. Um, He has authority over the broken world and the sin that brings sickness and Um, and he has authority over death and in all of those people are restored to relationship so the demonic man is sent back to his people to tell of Jesus Uh, the woman who has been unclean and an outcast is restored in front of a crowd that she is no longer an outcast from and the girl is brought back from death into the embrace of her mother and father and that is Jesus is using his authority to rescue you and me to bring us back Um, from cosmic separation from him, um, from the brokenness of sin and from the final ending of all relationships through death. Because of Jesus, because of the cross and because of the resurrection, um, because of God's love and choosing to do that for us, we are restored as all of these people are restored. And this is for everybody, whether you're from a Gentile region, uh, whether you're the top of society, the bottom of society, um, whether you're old or young. Isn't that great? So the questions we ask each week, up in, out, up. What did I learn or what struck me about the nature of God? In, what did I need to hear as a follower of Jesus? Out, what difference does the truth that struck me from this passage make in the lives of those I love and serve? What struck me about God? What did I need to hear as a follower of Jesus? And what difference for those I love and serve? God bless you and uh, next week, Funnily enough, after Mark chapter 5 comes Mark chapter 6.